Hello! You're listening to Film Grays. This is our 13th episode, 012, and yeah. I'm Emmett. I'm Sam. We're from the band Phil Graves, and today we've got the Oscar fever. <laughs> We're going to discuss all the BAFTA bait, yeah. uh, the two popes, and assorted other nominees. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's actually so much to cover for this one. It's a bit of a daunting prospect. Going back to films that we saw, like last year it's true a few of these films well i only saw once upon a time in hollywood for example once yeah we're really going to be dredging the old memory bank this time so well we've got age on our side right because most of the the voters for these awards aren't going to remember shit about <laughs> no for sure oh my god yeah what have that... we got on the slate we're going to talk about i mean there's literally so much little women bombshell jojo rabbit uncharted 1917 <laughs> resident evil 1917 <laughs> marriage story yeah and and there's literally loads more i guess we're going to talk about like the films that didn't get nominated for awards and you know i guess later on we'll talk about the categories for the baftas and the oscars yes absolutely yeah we're going to talk about yeah loads of films but it's going to be shorter than the trains episode and you're not really going to learn anything practical in this one cool should we jump into two popes let's do it I mean, it's a Netflix classic, really, isn't it? From The Overlord. Hey, on Netflix, for this one, especially more than anything. Well, now The Irishman, I guess. Were you looking forward to watching The Two Popes, or was it a bit of a joke? Mm, yeah, I had some reservations, actually. Mm-hmm. I think I was intrigued by it, particularly because the casting is so good. Like, I, d- I didn't watch it as soon as it jumped on, though. It took me a while. I guess it looked... I wasn't sure what sort of film it would be. Right. Um, but it's quite a tonally wild film. We were just discussing before recording the podcast. Mm. It's a combination of one of these, like, in my mind at least, if it were to get a cinematic release, I feel like it would be marketed as, like, uh, Victorian Ad- Abdul, Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, Darkest Hour style, like, old people's film. 1917 has hoovered up the grey pound. But um, I think it would have been really successful if it came out in the cinema. Um, and instead... I'm currently setting up a Netflix account for my grandma so she can watch it. It has that tone of, like, prestige, mm. you know, mm. biopic. Elder statesmen, you know. Yeah. But it also has a sort of Socratic theological dimension, which I really didn't expect. I guess you would expect it from a film about mm. two poets with very different ideas, but that's at the forefront. And it's also like a I love you man style, like, bromance film, you know. With a lot, like a hangout, a link later, you know, dazed and confused, but in slightly cooler locations. Yeah, yeah I agree with all these um, assessments, yeah. And I think it, it was really held together by these two performances. Like, it, the relationship that plays out throughout it, for it to traverse all these different, like, filmic moods, it does it so well, man. And Masterful. It really should have been... So the actors got nominated, but Fernando Moreles mm. made... City of God, yeah. The Motorcycle Diaries, Constant Gardener, all charity shop classics, might I add, and this <laughs> yeah. film isn't g- even going to come out on DVD. Yeah, like that's it. crazy, yeah. I didn't, I was, I've been kind of hard on him in the past. It's just not films I'm ever, like, itching to watch again, but I want to watch The Two Popes mm. every day. I feel now like Johnny Guitar just came off Netflix, this is going to be my go-to, like... Wow, has <laughs> it, yeah. Um, when, I feel like when we were growing up, City of God was, like, one of the real like prestige international films you know um like from that like contemporary cinema this is uh 
the style of the film is so cool. It's so good. We were another thing we were discussing earlier, like off mic, was like how um, it deals with its with like memory and like different periods through like stylization and cinematography and gimmicks. Um, right? Yeah, yeah. It's sort of cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> it is sort of cheesy, but it's also sort of like the other side of the wind in other sequences. Mm. You know, with mm. the very uh, free editing. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Just you know, use of like quite ironic music and but as you say it is austere at times and okay so like the film has like four scenes and the middle scene is about an hour long and features a massive flashback sequence in the middle of it mm. um where it goes from sort of hyperkinetic sort of modern style to looking like roma or something like that like modern black and white cinematography like really rich yeah, that's actually a stunning sequence. And it's in black and white for like uh, the same reason the start of Stalker is in sepia or whatever. Mm. Mm. It centers around uh, a moment of spiritual awakening or whatever. That mm. just is hitting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Pope Francis, yeah. like Cardinal Bergoglio, is, that, um, is, is the main character. Mm. He is the main character. Um, and it's like his personal history and his like theological and political journey through life, which is foregrounded more than rat singers, yeah. Who is, like, I like how this film just like explicitly made him out to be a total cunt, you know? <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a bar scene like in um, Argentina where... And then the guy's like, oh, the Nazi or Yeah, yeah. Pope Benedict's like political past is sort of reduced to a given. Um, and the way it negotiates both of these histories is like really interesting in terms of like the dialogue and the themes, but also like, as we were saying, like the cinematography and like when it's exploring Pope Francis, like when he's the Cardinal in the seventies, his like political participation then like during like the coup and his like work with the Jesuits, like the way it's shot as like, you know, it looks like no or something, which right. in turn is like, you know, <laughs> trying to replicate this like seventies aesthetic, like. Absolutely. And it, as you said, it's gimmicky, but like it's also just like really cool filmmaking. So this is an adaptation of a play, and it's written by Anthony McCartan, who is probably the most like BAFTA man ever. His last three credits, what a filmography this is! What 2016, The Theory of Everything script, 2018, Darkest Hour screenplay, 2019, Bohemian Rhapsody screenplay. Yeah, I mean, this is what what you're saying about this just like sort of like heritage industry or like nostalgia fetishization and like pfft. that's why the film is so much more enjoyable than you have any right to expect it to be mm. i think and the performances are brilliant i mean you've got like anthony hopkins playing ratzinger the scene when he's going around pitching to all the other cardinals to vote for him with dancing queen going underneath and he's just saying the same thing and it's like chopped up yeah it makes it like a political thriller or something like right. really wild especially with him like sloganeering and like i guess this is like one of the oldest <laughs> forms of like voting yes. <laughs> that's like still in practice yeah. um and the way they like represent this ritual as well is like really jokes but it also like introduces i guess like his conservatism versus like the perceived liberalism of like pope francis that's the thing at the heart and it takes place within the you know one of the most ancient and like oppressive institutions mm. in the what i mean i mean that's a major theme as well isn't and it's it? not negated it's got the kind of even-handed like modern perspective on this shit everything is interrogated very impressive and it takes a side 
and it has a sequence of the, the two popes having pizza at like 10 a.m. in the sacristy of the Sistine Chapel. Yeah. I, yeah, I assume that whole sequence it. is just it's not, yeah, amazing. It's, it's that hour long scene mm. at the centre mm. of the film. Mm. Great movie. I really think it's a very masterful bit of filmmaking, you know, and like a populist film as well. Like, I think it would have a really broad appeal, like, as well as appealing to like an older generation or whatever who likes this sort of like pretty calm prestige filmmaking. It's also got some like really jokes moments and like playful filmmaking sure. and like postmodern elements and yeah the dancing queen bit was like a adam curtis documentary or something yeah you got all the popes casting their votes while abba is playing and you know the end credits much like uncut gems you know based around you got to write character around <laughs> yeah. like a real sporting <laughs> event that happened yeah it's a really good scene actually and just, yeah i feel like that just typifies the way that they um deal with the characters and like as i said like an even-handed way yeah really interesting film as a Catholic raised, like I also love the young Pope. Oh yeah, I haven't seen that. Uh, that's an extended universe. I'm willing to get mm. into. <laughs> I mean, we are going to do a priest priest film. Can't wait episode. Like, definitely worth checking out on Netflix. All the other films we're going to talk about now got more nominations. Actually, that's not true because Knives Out really got shafted with just screenwriting. I really think Fernando Morales should have been nominated for best director for this. The direction was really at the forefront of how they adapted it and how they made it into a sick film. Another big story about the Oscars is the best director omission for Greta Gerwig. Yeah, definitely for Little Women. Another film in which like the auteurist vision is really at the center of the adaptation. And Greta Gerwig did a lot to a very classic novel to make it a very modern mm. film, I think. I guess the fact that it's a best picture nominee, but not best director the fact that they're like recognizing that it's like one of the best films but the direction is not worthy of um recognition is i guess i thought it was one of the main films about the film it's a bit mad for how to see how little diversity in terms of between the categories different films getting nominated i thought it was cool that the lighthouse got nominated for cinematography but that was pretty much the only film where like they highlighted its specificity in one category as like being some of the best of the year the screenplay to little women was interesting. Yeah, you're familiar with You've read the book, haven't you? I, I read haven't. the book a long time ago when I was a little boy. There were certain bits that were very noticeably not from the book. Or whatever. Really? like uh, the, the sequences of Tracy Letts, I guess, as the publisher. Maybe a bit on the nose for my taste, but also important in marking out the intention of the film. Yeah. Did they start a liberal arts academy at the end of the book? <laughs> Where they all do finger painting and that? And read, like, Rousseau or something? Right. <laughs> do lithographs or I loved it yeah I thought it was a great movie yeah I yeah I really enjoyed it some excellent performances as well and those have been recognised like it's status as best potential picture like they you know yeah Sasha Ronan the like prestige sort of period film mm. actress I haven't seen Brooklyn great film I need to watch that, yeah. but I mean she's worked with Greta Gerwig in um Ladybird, like, and like, I feel like they're very similar. <laughs> they're very similar films, you know. Mm. Um, I kind of disagree, but I like this more because Ladybird had more of a potential to be like Lou Catch influence and just failed and was like, mm. you know, violently not. But I guess this, there's this sort of like urban economic salvation as the goal of both films. Moving to New York and 
making it in the big city. Yeah, but it's about a woman trying to get her story published. As you say, though, the performances, not just Saoirse Ronan, the whole cast, with one notable exception, I think. Maybe not the one you'd expect. I thought Timothée Chalamet was actually pretty good in this film. Yeah. But um, Emma Watson was really bad, I think. Oh, yeah. Apart from in the one bit when she put on a fake English accent and then she just sounded all right. Like, that was done. was yeah. great. Bob Odenkirk turns up. Uh-huh. Real bit part. Yeah, a bit distracting maybe, but also enjoyable. And I guess that scene is really supposed to put a massive smile on your face. Mm. And it did. Yeah. And I says, mean, it's, it's a weird one. We were talking about this earlier as well. Like, how like historicity of the story is rooted in like the fact that it's like set during the civil war and like their dad's away during it and like it is like a period film but like that's never really that like political circumstance is never really part of it i appreciate that might not be like textually part of it but if you're like approaching the story now like sure i think greta Gerwig was trying to with that i think i was deliberate and i think she was trying to sort of make it clear that the the home was all right it wasn't missing like a patriarch I need to watch like the beguiled or something. <laughs> I don't know how Probably like Misandrous film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a Studio Ghibli TV adaptation of Little Women from the '80s. Oh, really? Which has loads of black characters and is all about the Civil War. Um, I haven't seen it, but I've read about it in Sight and Sound. I think that sounds cool. It does sound cool. Sounds like a good adaptation. This, I mean, I didn't really like how I just didn't understand where this film took place. Where there's like one massive house one slightly smaller house and one like shack where like silent tuberculosis patients live yeah I guess. it's just that like American gothic or you know like sure. some pastoral shit where like you know some dense yard on a prairie with like no real sense of space or whatever yeah well there was absolutely I guess the domestic space was really well evoked like the Simpsons or something like that but the actual town or wherever it is they live. I didn't understand that. Whatever. I'm not trying to pick apart this film. I yeah, really I don't funny. think that really matters to to me. I feel... It just seemed like a really, you know, straightforward and pleasing and quite mm. pure adaptation, you know. Again, I'm not familiar with the source material, but I didn't feel like it. I'm not sure the extent to which they modernised it. You said, like, the... They just make it a bit, like, on the nose, I think, the actual sort of yeah. themes of sort of feminine emancipation. Mm. I mean, maybe that, you know, that's a central theme to Little Women. Mm but highlighted in such a way. Because it's not like a straightforward adaptation. In fact, they sort of stack events from the books, like one on top of the other, so that they can like hit as hard. And like you see the same thing happening like three times over like a 30-year time period, like in two scenes. Yeah. You know what? I actually felt like the structure of the... Now that you say that, I remember finding the structure of the film really quite jarring at times. Yeah. But it's emotional. It's an emotional way to structure the film. It really is an emotional film in general. And like... There are moments that like hit or whatever. Yeah. I think it's gonna like have like a wide appreciate, you know, like it, audience, it has like already. people. Yeah, for sure. But you know, when it's on like streaming services, I think like people will like lap it up. You preferred it to Gerwig's husband's film, um, Marriage Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that sucked. I thought it was really well directed. Florence Pugh was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, while we're on that topic, I do feel like that's one of the major acting award emissions like throughout the award season what her in midsummer yeah 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 Yeah. it's an astonishing performance and like a central performance yeah and you know what while we're on the topic like she's fundamentally conservative (laughs) yeah
Shout out Amy oh, Talvin, yeah. the god. Shout, shout out the god. But, um, the production design for that film and for the sound. Yeah, for Midsummer. Yeah, I'm just yeah, going to yeah. linger on Midsummer for a moment because you know why not? I think we've arrived at it in a relatively organic way. It's such a well-made film, and like the sense of like setting the like the all the design, the realization of like these like rituals. Yeah, they. T- I mean, they tell the story of the film through the production design, which is very rare yeah for sure through like uh like painted tableaus and shit like it's a really good film and a really strong central performance a24 misrepresented or whatever i mean there are other a24 films that like over the course of the this episode like we're going to talk about yeah. where you know certain certain performances or films like aren't receiving like the, sure. yeah, the garfield and silver lake definitely actor of the year. <laughs> yeah. even that has like a banging soundtrack for example like yeah it is a problem little women was a great adaptation uh it's a major film and one of the best of these awards films i think quite easily yeah i agree all about the performances as well but there are some other adaptations i think we're going like we're going to talk about some more adaptations now or yeah let's talk about the uh taxi driver remake <laughs> king of comedy remake the fight club yeah. remake network remake yeah that's adaptation right there that's you know intertextuality mm. todd um, phillips is joker a man who probably shouldn't have been nominated for best director i'm not gonna lie mm. i think greta could have had his nomination i mean it's just a pass it is a pastiche yeah. like the achievement is in successfully achieving the pastiche of 70s American filmmaking with a fantastic performance in the middle of it yeah of course I really want to watch The Joker again you know I was so like overwhelmed by it yeah my critical faculties were just not not there I did really like it though and I think this is a lesson that we can all learn so uh, you know they took seriously Black Panther last year they gave it the the best picture nomination they were like alright we are going to take these comic book films seriously and now Joker gets like the most nominations and everyone's Mm. kicking off about it it's like well you fucking asked for it. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's been being acknowledged in, like, every conceivable category. Yeah. In, like, almost to a disingenuous extent, where, I don't know. It's a bit mad. Yeah, it is a bit mad. But it's a good it's film, a, though. It's a proper it's... film, you know. It has themes and, like, mise-en-scene and stuff like that. Which yeah, definitely. Is lacking from most of these films that I've seen. I mean, I think it was a really rich film, and everyone I've spoken to you... Um, who saw it was like had like a positive impression or takeaway from it yeah. and like found it surprising and you know richer than they imagined yeah. and you know surprisingly good film yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, it's not going to be great if they win all the awards I don't think they have much chance of that if you it does Whacking Phoenix could be in for a shout like. he should be you know because I think he he's never won an Oscar before and he's an amazing performer it's not just physicality. I think there's a lot of interiority to his performance. But it's so expressive and so, like, large. How can you not? It's about the performance. And, and it's a very, like, bodily performance, you know? Like, he's doing weird shit with his body, like, idiosyncratic. Like, I yeah. wonder if Todd Phillips choreographed that. <sighs> don't know. Probably not. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know how it figures into the world of adaptations of Batman comics or whatever. But as an adaptation of a lot of other good films. Yeah, for sure. I feel like for adapting that like source material, it's more about like the iconography and like sure. the characters and like sure. you know. I think it's very loosely based on the source material. Like, well, they turned Thomas Wayne into a B 
billionaire capitalist, like mm. evil, evil sort of god figure or whatever. Yeah, I'm not sure what the like reading is in that like comic interpretation. Well, though. Yeah, for sure. I guess yeah. an active adaptation. Yeah. It's a bit mad that Todd Phillips is going up against Martin Scorsese for best director. Though. Yeah, when he's doing like a cover album, basically. Yeah. With, like, stock characters as well. Come on. Scorsese said he didn't watch the drug film. I guess, as an Academy member, he probably has to, to be <laughs> eligible to vote. I still remember reading, like, some hilarious, like, responses to, um, like, this was after it won, like, the Golden Lion or whatever, and, like, you know, there was a lot of, like, critical... Thank you, Lucretia <laughs> <laughs> There was a lot of, like, critical buzz and, like, also, like, moral panic, I guess. Oh, it's huge. Um, it was the most controversial film yeah. of all time, I think. And a lot of these responses were just like, I don't think I can watch it. My assistant said it was, like, too gory or whatever. And, like, you know, here it stands, like, champion of the ballot. Like, <laughs> We'll see what happens. I liked it, though. It's a good film. I think it just could have got nominated for Best Actor, and that would have been, like, representative of its achievements. I don't think it needs to get nominated for, like, Best fucking makeup and stuff, and editing. Yeah, come on. I understand that it's central, but like, if we're considering it like not like like apparent makeup, but like achievements in like transforming people's faces or whatever, or like bombshell doing. Would have got nominated. Did it get nominated? It did get nominated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I feel like that's like a you know more demonstrative of like it as a filmic craft than Mm. like. Joker where like he's wearing face paint in the fucking poster and it's like oh that's a film with about makeup with good makeup you know it's so prevalent in the film like come on I don't yeah, feel like it's like one of the filmic achievements of the year like putting some like pasty white on Joaquin Phoenix's face sorry to they probably got the best makeup artist in the game to do that shit though you know I, hey I don't I don't I don't think 1917 should have got nominated for cinematography and it's all about the cinematography at that film but the Irishman had great makeup and great direction and it's an adapted screenplay yeah I've sort of called on it I think I felt even by the time we did the films of the year which wasn't even that long after I'd seen it um, the spell had like lifted or whatever and I do however appreciate that it's like a a masterpiece or whatever or like a a like a like a magnum opus or like fanny and alexander or yeah, something like, like that it a, is that like it's like a contribution you know and like a i, th- a I think i should or i guess i'm kind of the same because i would technically sh- i should back this in every category i think it is the best film in every category it's in it surprised me in ways that joker didn't even surprise me like i didn't expect robert de niro to act so well you know i said it before it's like a brissonian style or whatever but you got Pesci and Pacino facing off as best supporting actor. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, this has been like pretty roundly acknowledged. Yeah. Pesci for me, although Al Pacino is getting there. Like, I feel like Joe Pesci's character is like a bit more dynamic or whatever. More dynamic. A bit, even just because like you can see the restraint or yeah. like you know. You and can that, feel the acting. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, no. Mm. But you know, it's just doing. No, if does. you can feel the act, I mean, that doesn't sound good, does it? <laughs> I liked it because I can feel the act. No, but can... you can, you can recognise the ingenuity of what Joe Pesci did in the performance. You anyway, know, Al Pacino does what he does in every film, and I 
traditionally like fucking hate that but as a i'll tell you what right as a supporting character that is so much better as just to have this robert de niro is like a fucking statue so is joe pesci and then you've got like al pacino doing his normal thing and just like wiling out and like screaming at everyone way better as a supporting actor hollywood you have failed over the last 50 years by putting this guy in main roles he would be a great character actor i don't feel like i have a huge i can, again i can like recognize the achievements of the film and i can appreciate like why it's i don't think it's going to win many categories because it's too good for, for oscars and stuff like that it's, do you think it's in for a shout with, for like best picture or well, it's way better than the departed <laughs> which did that best, win yeah wow. that one best picture and best director. yeah the Irishman. I did. I did think it was really good, but um, I thought it was the best film in all of these categories. But I don't actually want it to win that badly. Mm. No, I do. Fuck it. Should we talk about some like original in inverted commas stories? Yeah, There's original screenplays at least. Story. Quite a porous border. Let's talk about marriage story since I watched it last night. Yeah, not for the first time. No. And you were saying to me how your perspective of it has significantly changed it was a really different viewing experience the second time around when i watched it for the first time couldn't really tolerate the characters i think i'd sort of brought what i've seen in other baumbach films to it in such a way where i didn't really enjoy how autobiographical it was and how like one dimensional one perspective all it was i think it was a very unsympathetic film to the jennifer jason lee character the scarlett johansson character is that who it's based on? Yeah, and I guess the stagehand is based on Greta Gerwig, the like really gawky, like <laughs> uh, ledger carrying, glasses wearing, frizzy character. In a way that like Woody Allen, for example, in Annie Hall, which was a huge influence on this film, or Ingmar Bergman in Scenes for a Marriage, just interrogates the sort of maleness and like the sort of male stereotypes of his character a lot more than Adam Driver's character seems to do in this film, who is the hero of the film in a slightly fucked up way. I thought but watching it for the second time it was yeah it was really really different it was really i was really upset i was really into what the story did to the characters and the transformation i said the first time i watched it oh it should be called american marriage story and they should have got ryan murphy in. and that's absolutely true but it's a film all about money it's a film about how introducing lawyers into a sort of human relationship just turns everyone into monsters the laura dern character is like mephistopheles or whatever the sequence where laura dern and ray liotta are arguing in court on saying all the things that they couldn't say to each other to the judge was unbelievable. The serving scene was maybe my favorite scene of the year. The way they balanced the tones was amazing. I thought it had a lot to say. It sounds, you've given me the craziest facial expressions right now. This is like the lighthouse or something. Come on, come, come at me, bro. Did you just say tones in the plural? Because this is one of the most monotone films I've ever seen in my life. Sure. To be fair, I've seen it once. It didn't emotionally engage me in any way. Yeah, you're not going to watch it again for a while, I take it. Yeah, the films that it is pastiching or drawing upon or paying homage to, yeah. depending on how generous you're feeling, yeah. I, I, you know, I haven't seen. So <laughs> I need to get involved. And yeah. I'd much rather, like, come to terms with, like, the framework that it's operating within rather than indulging it with a second viewing at this point. The performances, I guess, are one of the main things that people have celebrated in it and, like, the way they represent this shifting dynamic. But for me, I feel like the character journeys are superficial at best and their destinies are so American. Like, their destinies yeah. are, like, laid out before them. They're laid out before us at the beginning. And, like, you know, it's not dialectical, but, like you can appreciate that they're like types and their types are going to be fulfilled. Yeah, sure. I just really struggled to engage with, with it, yeah. 
I get it. Yeah. I understand. I did, yeah. As I say, I didn't like it the first time I watched it. I was laughing at like the outrageousness of the stuff they were coming out with. That was kind of my main reaction to it the first time. Mm. And otherwise I thought it was a bit monotonous, as he said. But on the second watch, knowing the shape of the film and knowing what the performances and the characters become, it, yeah, I really, I was really impressed. It was like watching a different film, even though I knew what was happening in every scene. And the way they played it and the way the script worked was masterful. I don't really like his films. I love The Squid and the Whale. I think that's the only one that I would say is like as good as this. I hate the Gerwig one. I really, 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 really do. And they're like aggressively modern, you know, and like, a, or aggressively like about modern life. Talk about Twitter accounts and stuff mm. in Mistress America, not the Taylor Swift film. I do respect the fact that this film has a single mindedness, you know, <laughs> in that like it's very about like the process which they're going through. Yeah. And I did appreciate the like introduction of like the litigious dynamic like when they start like going through like legal proceedings mm -hmm. and the introduction you know laura dunn's been nominated and widely lauded for like her snaky lawyer character who like encourages proceed you know yeah i guess it was sort of the joanna hogg thing like i wanted it to push it further it's better than push the souvenir it, like, man out of the mundane you know and like it never transcended that for me i just thought it was very analytical and mm. the acting and the script really played into what it was trying to say about the economics of divorce you still hate the kid on some omen shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is embarrassing <laughs> for Noah. about i'd hate to... it's not a film about parenthood <laughs> yeah certainly not as total chore looking after that child if i had to look after that child i'd be like oh fucking hell this guy's a little arsehole so nice on Noah Baumbach. well done I'm a bit sad that we didn't do an episode on it, so we could have had a punny title like Baumbach Clark or something. But <laughs> I mean, if we did record an episode on it before, though, we would have been having a very different conversation about it, I think. You're so right. It's interesting to come to it at this point in time where you can, like, reappraise it. Yeah. I mean, something I really want to do for all the other original screenplay nominees. I don't really have a huge hankering to watch Knives Out again, but I loved it. And next time I do watch it again, it's going to be really fun. I recommend it to everyone. Knives Out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I sent my parents off to watch it, you know. My Enjoy dad it? loves, like, you know, murder mysteries or whatever. And I feel like it's a really classic film, you know, with some really excellent performances. I mean, it's an ensemble cast, like, in the truest sense with, you know, Take Your Pick, Michael Shannon, Tony Collette. Maybe there's too much vote splitting to go on for this film to be nominated <laughs> in other acting categories. I feel like it definitely should have been... I mean, it was literally in both the BAFTAs and the Academy Awards, it's only been nominated for, like, screenplay. It's a bit mad. Which is a bit mad, because, like, it's such a well-put-together film of, like, great... You know, earlier we were talking about how, like, Little Women has, like, a very poor sense of place and space, mm -hmm. and, like, this film, on the contrary, cultivates, like, a very clear understanding of, like, the geography of the film. Yeah. The way all the characters navigate it is, like, super fun. It's just a really entertaining film. Good soundtrack. The production design was very original and very impressive. Mm. Especially because I assume it was a real house. I don't think they built that house. Parasite, smaller house, more impressive production design, seemingly, to the Academy. Mm. But Knives Out was bold. 
Definitely. It's just an extremely vibrant film, actually, and, like, I feel like whenever I enjoy a film and find it fun, I call it playful, but I think this actually legitimately is a playful film. It's, like, pretty pomo and, yeah. you know, deconstructive. And still manages to take a side. Oh, yeah. It's and like, it's rigorous. You know, it's not rigorous, but it's analytical and political. Yeah, it has a social perspective as well, and, like, a discourse about immigration, which is yeah. central to the plot. I really appreciate Rian Johnson for... His writing. contribution to the Star Wars franchise well yeah it's the best star wars <laughs> film <laughs> hey this this film is probably going to be in cinemas longer than star wars it's still in the charts really there's it's still like four screenings a day at most views been a real hit yeah i actually saw it on the day it came out because it was my birthday and i was like sort of looking forward to it so we went at like midday like to get us out of the house or whatever and start drinking and it had like a wide like demographic or whatever i think like it will appeal to all audiences like yeah. you know unless you don't like seeing the good immigrant or whatever like come out on top. like in which case get fucked right absolutely <laughs> yeah. i think that's yeah anna dionis's character and performance was really sick yeah really really yeah. sick as, as well as quite a simple character mm, quite mm. like an honest well they make a joke out of how honest she is. Yeah, but... yeah. I guess all the characterizations are pretty thin because there are so many characters. So they're all sort of tropey, but then with like a layer of, you know. Yeah, you've got the incel troll, you've got the woke lib and everything in between. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But these are like very modern categories and like, it's a very modern film in a very traditional form as well. Yeah, I was worried it was going to be more like a South Park thing. A film that got nominated for way more awards than this that we'll touch on in a little bit was way more like that. I thought this was going to be, like, pretty annoying. A lot of people watched Trailer and thought it looked shit. When it was announced as a London Film Festival opener, I was like, oh, that looks shit. But that is great. Yeah, I thought really, I thought it was excellent. I think Daniel Craig, as CSI KFC, is very jokes. Talking about, like, Gravity's Rainbow for, you know, analogies and shit. And, like, no one's read it. Yeah, I got halfway through. <laughs> You've read it. <laughs> yeah. Really good scripts and yeah. Really good film. In another year, maybe in a weaker year like last year, which had terrible nominees, mm. this would have come out looking like a classic. I think it does maybe compare slightly infavorably to Parasite. I think that's yeah. probably what hampered its nomination, honestly. We don't have much to say about Parasite. We'll do an episode on it when Sam's seen it. I've seen that shit twice. Yeah, again, like people keep saying to me, just watch it, bro. And you know what? I watched like 1917 and fucking Bombshell and a bunch of other shite films that like I don't care about patronizing. Mm. I watched that shit, but I want to see Parasite in cinema. I want to see The Lighthouse in the cinema. So again, like these probably would have made our top 10 list or what, or it would have been like a big part of the conversation if I'd seen it. But got to stay true to the cinema experience you know and yeah sometimes 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 you want to see them in the cinema first you know well yeah parasite we won't be talking about we'll do an episode like for sure hits from the bong <laughs> yeah yeah fucking hell once upon a time in hollywood is another original screenplay nominee and also the second most nominated film in both the baftas and the oscars yeah for sure tarantino's like love letter to hollywood so I guess sort of like Pale and Glory and any film that deals with filmmaking, apart from Dolomite is my name. And the, the souvenir. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I guess it's like automatically on the radar. It's a very like luscious film, I guess. And like you can understand like why it's been lauded as like a piece of cinema or whatever. Oh, yeah. I do. I really don't think Leonardo DiCaprio should have got nominated for Best Actor because I thought his performance is probably the weakest thing about the film. Mm. And Brad Pitt, like I'd actually disagree and say I liked both of the performances, but I don't think they're like 
Well, Brad Pitt acted amazingly this year in another film. Yeah, yeah, Ad Astra. It's astonishing that Ad Astra didn't actually receive any recognition outside of like its use of sound, which was one of the standout features of it. But come on, the cinematography, the production design, like everything about that film is astonishing. The screenplay. The screenplay. <laughs> the direction. Yeah, it's actually such a good film. Yeah. Brad was good in this film. If I was to like bet, I'd probably bet on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to win most of these categories. And it's going to be a bit mad when, like, everyone for years has been like, oh, Tarantino could win the Oscar for Inglorious Bastards. How crazy would that be? Or for, like, Django Unchained, very similar category. But now he's, like, I think he's the oldest director who's nominated for Best Director, apart from Martin Scorsese. And he's gone so quickly from being... Sam Mendes as well. I mean, I, think he's I feel like they're Mendes. all, like, the same fucking... They're just old dudes, man. Yeah, but Tarantino going from being oh like an exciting prospect or whatever making like radical going from like being like robert downey senior to clint eastwood like (laughs) slowly yeah i'm gonna watch it again on a plane i don't really want to rewatch it because i thought it was really boring Mm. but i think it's probably gonna win a lot of awards yeah i mean it's sound mixing and sound editing (laughs) it must be a shoo-in it's such unimaginative uh yeah but that's that's on the you know i'm not in bafta i'm not in the academy yeah. I would have probably nominated Blue Story for sound mixing yeah. and The Lighthouse for editing and screenplay. But we haven't been inducted yet. I think we've got to do film grades for a few more years before we <laughs> yeah, get, sure. get put on that mailing list. A lot of these films we've gone into it in a lot more detail previously. So if you want to hear what we thought of like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know. The mind state is different though when you've got the Oscar fever, you know. Yeah, definitely. And uh, obviously people are bought into this as like a prize horse or whatever, you know. Yeah. But it is that, isn't it? I don't know. I Again, this year's better than last year. This it's not probably, okay. Yeah. But it's my, probably my least favourite of all the films we've talked about so far. Wow. By quite a significant degree. Yeah. I we'll mean, get onto it though, because we're going to talk yeah. about some war films now. <laughs> Ford vs. Ferrari is not nominated for either original or adapted screenplay. I haven't seen it. No. It could win though. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not interested, to be honest. But could win Best Editing over Thelma Schoonmaker, the greatest editor of all time. Oh, yeah. For the driving bits. Yeah. By the way, the driving bits in The Irishman were beautifully edited, I'm just going to say. Mm. Yeah. Again, the nominees, the Academy Awards for, for um, editing, are just so unimaginative. They just correlate completely with, like, Best Picture or whatever. It doesn't seem to be treated as a filmic component in and of itself. You're still listening to Film Grays. We've taken you through the nominees for Best Adapted and Original Screenplays. But there is one category that probably should have its own category, I think. Because when I think back on classics of the last few years, like Hacksaw Ridge or uh, Dunkirk, I think, what would an awards category be without the World War fetish Yeah, fetish films, you know? And we have two real big ones this year. Yeah. Couldn't be more different. We've got Sam Mendes's. 1917 and Taika Waititi's Jojo Rabbit. Sam, you're a history student. Yeah, 917 was really good. It's about like a Viking raid and then what else happens? It's all shot. It's all in one shot. The 1917 to Paris was (laughs) fantastic. (laughs) Okay, let's do 1917 first. I watched this yesterday. I streamed it unabashedly. Yes, you know. Good on you, my brother. Like a good professional. Good on you, comrade. And yeah what a load of shite i'm so glad to hear that this is a film that's been nominated for best picture best director best original screenplay best original score best cinematography 
makeup and hairstyling, production design, sound editing, and sound mixing. Right. No acting awards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the fact that it's got a screenplay award is... It got nominated for editing? Astonishing. Um, it won an award for editing. I can't remember what Guild Award it was. Wait, but... let me check, because maybe I fucked that up. No. Okay. I'm just going to say immediately, the screenplay is one of the worst screenplays I've ever seen. Mm. It was just explaining everything that was going on visually, and there was nothing else to it. Yeah. The worst line of 2020, 2019. Oh, look, a rat. That's so expositional. Bad filmmaking, dude. Yeah. That's bad. A film which seeks to propel you in a one at like, okay, it's a quest film, a guy is sent on a mission, it's a saving private Ryan style, like man's destiny is in your individual heroic hands, young man. Go forth. Yeah. The the whole thing is a one shot of these two characters or these characters like trying to Get from A to B. Yeah, get from A to B. And it's shot in a one very gimmicky. Yeah. You know, something that's clearly been a strategy that has paid off. Well, it says that the uh, the tagline says, time is the enemy. Oh, no, it was the enemy for Sam Mendes. And it was the enemy for me because I wanted to get the fuck out of the cinema, dude. At no point did I really feel like I gave a shit. A lot of people have been very stirred and moved by it. Who are we to negate their experience? Yeah. I mean, there are some Jerry's in it. So the there one was... crazy Jerry. Yeah. There's a seek in it at one point. I mean, do me a favour. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about how people were complaining that it was ahistorical because the, or it's racist because it's got a Sikh character in it or whatever. He took a role from a good Etonian actor. The representation of like colonial participation in the First World War is like increased. Like Wonder Woman, for example, mm. represents like the exact same thing. Gal Gadot is in a like train terminal and like there's like a Gurkha soldier okay. and in the historiography of the first world war like there have been efforts to incorporate world history into <laughs> like european sure. uh, like a european like centered conception sure. of history or whatever but yeah apparently that was problematic to have like a Sikh. apparently so because he wasn't in a Sikh regiment or whatever was was the problem according to lawrence fox and this is like in the scene, like, it's like a, a cargo train of, you know, bedraggled soldiers yeah, like, you don't know in the middle of the campaign. They're all, like, stragglers or whatever. They, they might have all just met on that day for all you know yeah. or whatever. And it's 1917, you know, a lot of these battalions or whatever would have been decimated by then. Mm. It does evoke the war is hell thing, which is good, but maybe all films about war evoke that. I, yeah, I, I mean, it's not exactly Jacques or no. Paths of Glory. Or... Well, it's not any of the World War One films that I'm sure Sam Mendes fucking screened for all the cast yeah, and crew. Yeah, The Grand before. Illusion. The or... Grand Illusion, All Quiet on the Western Front, Paths of Glory, as you say. I think the thing about those is that they diminish, like, the, the contribution of, like, heroic individuals, whereas this, like, is all about that. Well, those films have some fucking analysis in them, dude. This film... It's an action movie. It's a straight-up piece of entertainment. It's John Wick. It's, you know... I mean, the visuals, the nature of the cinematography makes it look a lot like Resident Evil. I don't think that's an outrageous thing to say. It's like you're using the right stick the whole time and, like, going around, you know... We were saying about how if we ever did a Phil Graves video, you'd have, like, the jump through all the different perspectives or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it is that... Hardcore and... Henry. Or... Hardcore Henry, way better than this, and way more fun. It's not Russian arc, like, I think. No, I mean, Russian <laughs> arc. say that, for sure. Russian arc is teaching you something about history. This is teaching you about, what, the production of 1917? Okay, I hated Birdman. It was gimmicky and... Pfft. Philip Concannon, in his review, 
in Sight and Sound made a really good point. He was talking about how the scene where there is an ellipse, where they definitely break this one was largely, you know, there's a thing in the plot where the main character gets hurt and passes out, and that seemed to only be so that you could facilitate going from daytime sequences to nighttime sequences. And, you know, I like to talk about the marriage story, and it seems that this has broken a really fundamental rule of storytelling where you're allowing the form to dictate the content, especially in a historical film. That's just ridiculous. Let alone, you know, if this was a video game, you would have lost your life. You would have had game over like three times over. Yeah, for sure. Like the the red like mist over your eyes. Yeah. And weren't you waiting? Like you knew there was going to be like a, a lone French girl with a baby turn up at some point. You got the like Legend of Zelda, like, oh, you pick up the milk. Oh, I don't know why I've got this milk in my inventory, but maybe it would be useful at some point in the film. The whole thing was stultifying. The fact that it's been so widely lauded to me is mystifying. I genuinely don't understand. Well, it came out of nowhere. I don't know who Must was excited for this. Must have had a bloody good press release. Let's talk about the Alistair Campbell review because that was fucking hilarious, you know. Uh, in the New European, he was saying, like, oh, all the Labour candidates could really learn a lot from watching this film because all these soldiers have a common goal, even though this is a film all about individual heroism, so I don't understand. But they're all, they've all got a common goal, you know. It's not about politics or, like, partisanship, you know. We're all working together to save our future. Yeah, even though, like, it is such a partisan scenario, but it is completely stripped of all politics or analysis, like... Just an astonishing piece of storytelling, really, for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, it's a true vanity project, right, for Sam Mendes. A man who I don't think has made any good films. I thought Road to Perdition was okay, but when I was 10, when I watched it, I'm not going to watch that shit again. I haven't seen American Beauty. Oh, horrifying man, please don't watch it. Like, really awful. I hated the Vaughn films. But this is about, you know, it's got the, what's the opposite of an epigraph? A postscript. A postscript, yeah. Dedicated to the memory of his great-grandfather or grandfather who served in World War One and the stories that he told to them. And again, that just marks it out to be a film about Sam Mendes. A film about how crazy it is that they made a one war film. Let alone... Ugh, I don't even want to talk about Satan Tango. I don't even want to talk about Come and See. I think bringing in other war films, apart from the ones that it's directly ripping off, and if they ever made a movie of Call of Duty, this is what it would be, you know? They're Don't bother now, yeah. I do think that there's comparison to They Shall Not Grow Old, Peter Jackson film that came out a couple of years ago that was like a centenary piece and like him and his production team worked in collaboration with the Imperial War Museum and other archives to restore, colorize, and I guess edit archival footage to present a very multivocal representation of fighting in the First World War. However, I mean, that does have its problems, but like... I thought that was an infinitely better cinematic achievement. I think this film did have a lot of Peter Jackson influence, but I think it was more Hobbit Battle of the Five Armies than They Shall Not Grow Old. You know? Wow, yeah. A spiritual sequel but, yeah. to The Hobbit <laughs> in the truest sense. Certainly the scenes with the uh, the two main characters before one of them exits the film. Yeah, he goes home, yeah. It's just idiotic. Like... Yeah, exactly. He uh, goes to his home planet. It was just idiotic. I mean, it was just like, if it was a silent film, probably would have been a bit more calm. The dialogue uh, detracts from it to no end. It's fucked up. Should we move on to Jojo Rabbit? I actually really liked Jojo Rabbit when I saw it. Mm. Big fan of Taika Waititi. If we were doing the Little White Lies scoring, I probably would have given it like a four or a five for the actual watching because I was really into it. I was crying and laughing loads. Mm. And I was really impressed. I wasn't and, expecting And now? Oh, I really don't know, man. You know, like, doesn't really sit right. This like, South Parkization of history. Yeah... 
It reminded me of South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut a lot. In mm. that you've got the sort of gay Saddam, and this you've got the like camp imaginary Hitler, mm. Sort mm. Of, like entering whenever he wants or whenever the director wants. I mean, okay, it's a film about the Holocaust. It's a film about anti-Semitism. It's not a film about the Holocaust, dude. The main character has like a Jewish girl like hiding in their house, and like that's the uh, plot. But it's of the not film. like a Holocaust film. That's just like a factor of Nazi Germany. Okay, yeah, 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 sure. Sure. You're right. Obviously, that is like a major plot strain, like the threat of religious. It's in this film more than it's in the Malik film, which is mad. But... Yeah, for sure. The Malik film isn't about that at all. But in terms of like things I appreciated about this film, I thought it was you know in the mo- while I was watching, you know, you said according to Little White Lies schema of ratings, like you would have given it a five, and I definitely agree. You know, straight from the beginning. It has a montage of Nazi Germany with, like, a, a, you know, Germanic version of, like, I want to hold your hand or it, some shit. That was like, the Beatles, by the way. That's classic. They did. It was the Beatles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? I didn't yeah, know yeah, that. Yeah. Wow. It's on Past Masters Volume 1. And the Bowie Heroes at the end is also actual David Bowie. Wow, that's so interesting. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. But, okay, straight from the beginning, like, I, I was really feeling it emotionally in a way that, like, 1917, I didn't. And it's a more challenging film because it's about like the more complexity of the scenario. I know you're grappling with that the whole time. You're shaking, you're shaking your head now, but like, no, it is though. It is a morally complex film. Yeah, both in the writing of the film and in the situation depicted. I think Taika Waititi is Jewish. Yeah, he was Taika Cohen for a very long time. I hate Life Is Beautiful, the Roberto Benigni concentration camp film. Mm, It's very different tone to that. Yes, but I was expecting it to be very similar. But that film is actually way more in common with Marriage Story, where the whole like you know keeping the kids entertained is the whole chore. That's the real misery (laughs) of the film. For me, it bore more comparisons. Moonrise Kingdom, like it's very twee and has like a very light-hearted palette. Grand Budapest Hotel is also all about World War Two and fascism. Mm. Again, I guess that deals with it in like a very peripheral way, while like also maintaining the circumstantial threat of it yeah or like existential threat and i think it falls down in comparison to either of those films Mm. but like just in terms of its production design costume design and like you know obviously hugo boss gets to take credit for like the nazi swag or whatever Mm. but but, you know the costume design goes beyond that and i guess maybe within the iconography of the film like that is like developed or whatever it was like a couple (laughs) steps away from like tommy or something with like yeah for sure the rebel wilson character it's like a frau line the the character she was born to play yeah what do you call that the like mother's cross or whatever but just a total grotesque then you got sam rockwell i thought that was a great performance from him Mm. i thought his character was really funny apparently the gay community have had a lot of problems with this Mm. for maybe understandable reasons i mean there's a lot of films about there's a play called bent and a film I think that's what it's called. Which is really good, which is about a Nazi or a German man who's a homosexual reconciling his, you know, what. Mm. I think I slightly beyond that as well, because like, I mean, we this is a film that's dealing with the idea of like a good Nazi or whatever, or like the redeemability of Nazis. Yeah. And I guess I've seen people, you know, cite Trump's good people on both sides, like discourse. I do think it's slightly more complicated than that. Especially because the main character is a kid and the fact that we're talking about marginalised communities here where, like, I don't want to get into, like, Hannah Arendt too heavy here, but... Come on. It's not even the idea of the banality of evil because I think it's dealing with just simple, like, complicity and, like, survivalism. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's central to Scarlett Johansson's character and her relationship, her permissiveness of her son's Nazism. 
Like, the main character is, like, a ten-year-old. He's a Nazi or whatever. He's like a Cartman. The first five minutes is him, like, practising how to hire Hitler and then, like, running down the street doing it. Like, yeah. I don't know. It is cartoonish, but... This film is an adaptation of a serious novel when he turned it into a comedy, right? Mm. And I think he was mostly trying to tell the story of how uh, malleable the young brain is to whatever, to both, you know, confusing romance for just, like, a, a normal... I don't, I don't know what that shit is. But, yeah, it's about how easily manipulated the mind of a child or the mind of a country can be. And that's commendable. There were individual moments in the film that I thought were really touching. There were bits that made me cry. Yeah. The bits that made me laugh. I would like to single out Scarlett Johansson's performance because I think that's the real centre of the film. I, I wouldn't like the film if her character wasn't in it, to be honest. I think she did a lot for the tone. The scene when she puts the beard on. Yeah, that's sensational. It was really great. By far supersedes anything offered in Marriage Story. Although, I guess she's been recognised critically in both categories as lead and supporting actress. So. And I thought she put in great performances in both. I actually really liked it, Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. I think I'm still trying to work out how I feel about it politically. Or like what it's trying to achieve politically. Yeah. Maybe it's as simple as it's trying to be provocative. Well, it's an anti-hate satire, right? That's what it says in the poster. Yeah. Maybe we're thinking about this more than Watiti wanted us to think about it. But I fucking hate fascists, man. Yeah. What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about my hate? Should I, do I hate too much? Is that a problem? Should I hate less? But yeah, it's all right. Yeah. It's not going to win any of these categories, I don't think. I think it could be in for, like, some of the, like, design elements and, like, mm. yeah. The editing was great in the sort of comedy montage sequences. Yeah, it's really well put together. Yeah. I think Scarlett Johansson could get the supporting actress. I think it was a great supporting performance because it actually supported the film. Yeah, and she's, Without like, it. the emotional linchpin of the film as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And, like, politically, the littest part of it, you know. If they made the, the film with, you know, her being, like, a resistance fighter or whatever... Coming soon to the Marvel Universe. Oh, it's true. That's literally about to happen, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Maybe it already is part of the universe and we just didn't clock it. Pixar done it again, as, <laughs> as Tim Heidecker said. I guess we've done loads of reviews today, actually, of films that we've been wanting to talk about for quite a while, like Knives Out, Two Pope. Thank you, Academy, for nominating all these brilliant films. Yeah. I think to wrap up this episode, we're going to do like a little run through. Not a prediction as much as just like... Who's going to win? <laughs> Who's going to lose? Yeah, we're just going to like maybe take a moment to highlight some of the bigger missions, but also to just quickly look at them within like a categorical framework. I mean, this well. is, in my mind, this is the Film Grey's cover letter for membership of BAFTA. Yeah. Okay, for best picture at the Academy. Are yeah. the BAFTAs and the Academy Awards pretty set? The Academy Awards have a lot of nominations. More. Okay, so the BAFTAs have No Marriage Story, Little Women, Jojo Rabbit or Ford and Ferrari, but they are otherwise the same, being Parasite, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 1917, Marriage Story, Little Women, Joker, Jojo Rabbit, The Irishman and The Piece de Resistance. Ford versus Ferrari. We're going to have to make Darrell watch it again like I did <laughs> yeah. with Marriage Story. I think the Irishman should win. I want Joker to win yeah. just for the chaotic energy. How about you? <sighs> so hard, man. This is a good crop of films, man. You're talking yeah. Little Women, Parasite, Marriage Story. Again, Parasite is the outlier. What I don't want to see is Marriage Story or 1917 
feel like that would, you know, the Academy doesn't need much indicting, but that would be a real blow to any sort of pretense towards taste or integrity. So the winners we've had in the last five years have been Birdman, Spotlight, hmm. La La Land slash Moonlight, <laughs> The Shape of Water Fuck. and Green Book. Yeah, slim pickings, actually. Yeah, one, one or two good films in that category, I think. But if they're down to give monstrosities like Birdman and Green Book the, the award, I don't see why these fucking dickheads aren't going to vote for 1917. Mm. Especially considering it's been such a popular success. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood will have a certain appeal. Mm. I think The Irishman also, as for, you know, for the aforementioned reasons of it sort of feeling like a, like a grand cinematic statement, I think that will catch the attention of the of the voters as well. Just like how the man who shot Liberty Valance won, it didn't win. Next. Okay, actor in a leading role. Who we got? Antonio Banderas. He should win. Leonardo DiCaprio, Adam Driver, Joaquin Phoenix and Jonathan Price. For me, yeah, I feel like I was saying this to you earlier, I feel like Antonio Banderas is in for a big shout for this one. Again, it's a film about filmmaking and filmmaking culture. It's confessional, emotional. It's a good performance, you know, and I feel like... Do you feel like there are any big omissions here? Yeah, Robert De Niro, dude. Yeah. Wow. He should have been nominated. That was an amazing performance. The best Robert De Niro screen performance ever. I guess, like, the stoicism of the character maybe took away from, you know... It's not like an ostentatious performance. Sure. You know, for me, there are quite a f- quite a few omissions here. Actually, Corpus Christi was nominated for the mm. the final list. You know, which is quite astonishing, actually. Sort of passed under the radar in the UK, but again, it's got a very amazing lead performance. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not surprised that that's not being acknowledged. But there are more Adam Sandler in, you know, Obviously. murder mystery. One of the. <laughs> One of the standout performances of the year. Maybe that's why he didn't get nominated for Uncut Gems, because the vote splitting was too real between the two performances. <laughs> that was the best male performance of the year. I think pretty much everyone would agree on that. In Uncut Gems, yeah, it's yeah. sensational. Yeah, Sensational. Brad Pitt yeah. obviously holds down Ad Astra. He could win an Oscar this year, but it'll be for the wrong performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'll be for the Coke advert he did for Quentin Tarantino. I'd also shout out Jim Cummings in Thunder Road. Like, that's... A truly astonishing performance, and again, like, you can see that on Netflix now. But I think Antonio Banderas has it in the bag, really. I don't really think he's going to win, but I think it was a great performance. Jonathan Price as well, I mean... Come on! That made me cry the most out of any performance, just through the facial acting, not even the verbal. Come on. Joaquin Phoenix. Great performance. Good category. Yeah, definitely. Um, And... The BAFTAs are the exact same, actually, apart from they substitute um, Taron Egerton for... Who is it? Antonio Banderas. That's why they didn't find a way to nominate Hiddleston or Eddie Redmayne this year. <laughs> Mad. Yeah. I really thought for Cats... He should have got it for Cats, to be honest. He was great in that shit. Was he in Cats? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I don't know. Actress in a leading role. Cynthia Erivo in Harriet. That's not out in the UK, so... Haven't seen it. I'm sure it'll be nominated next year for the BAFTA. She's British, actually. Yeah. Um, Scarlett Hansen for Marriage Story, Saoirse Ronan for Little Women, Charlie Theron for Bombshell, and Renee Zellweger for Judy. Let's talk about those films because we haven't talked about them yet, and we've both seen one of them. Yep. I watched Bombshell, and dear listener, it is a true piece of shit, actually. Mm-hmm. It tries hard to make you feel sympathetic towards these 
deeply conservative women. At one point, Margot Robbie nominated for two Best Supporting Actress roles at the BAFTAs. It's quite astonishing, actually. She has a line that's like, I'm an evangelical youth or some shit. She also has a line that's like, here's the problem with sexual harassment in the workplace, which is meant to be the like hard-hitting monologue of the film. Like, the BAFTAs, the, the bit they play before the Best Actress nomination yeah exactly man it's actually one of the most on the nose films i like it's extremely didactic but i don't know who it is being didactic towards to a patronizing length it's written by the guy that wrote the big short and you can feel that at the beginning but then it really subsides into like just like the most like generic like by the numbers like tv movie style exposition i think it's a bit mad that it's a film about sexual harassment that was made by the guy who made austin powers yeah stuff. that's mental as well jay roach yeah one of the weirdest things about bombshell just i've i'm sort of done talking about it really it was just really boring and crap but one of the weirdest things is that charlie's Theron was made to look like the megan the kelly. Main Meg, megan kelly like a fox news reporter they're all fox news reporters the characters it's about their valor fictional or uh, based on real life and they like you know 3d printed her new eyelids and shit and like really went the extra mile and then you've got like nicole kidman and margot robbie like you know margot robbie's not actually based on a real person so whatever but you know so it's a really strange creative decision it seems like the uh the makeup artist who was like mostly worked in horror and like genre films and then started working in these big hollywood films a couple of years ago is being celebrated a lot in the interviews i've listened to as the auteur of the film or whatever yeah. a bit mad I wouldn't waste your time with it. If you're interested in this political episode in which, like, Roger Ailes, the head of Fox News, like, got out of as, like, a serial sex offender, just read about it. I'm sure there is some fantastic journalism about it. And this film, I don't feel like it's particularly timely, and I don't think it brings much analysis at all. And, yeah, as I said, it's extremely on the nose. What? Well, it's capitalising, isn't it? Oh, yeah, and, you know... It's capitalising on the... The success of, like, the, the good outcome for these women, like, is an extremely satisfying financial settlement. Mm -hmm. And for a film that, like, is about sexual misconduct and abuse, does not interrogate trauma or the psychological effects of this at all. And phew, it's an extremely crap film actually yeah fair enough judy looks sort of shit as well what did you think um it was really sad it was pretty normal i liked how for a biopic of a famous person it didn't do the walk hard thing of telling the whole life story even through the conversations it was just judy garland in a moment kind of like miles ahead um the What's film with the don, don Cheadle film from a couple of years ago yeah with miles cool, davis but i missed it i really liked it less serious film than this it was very like exploitation-y sort of action film but again it's got like a real icon just fucked up on drugs the whole film this film really held the sadness of this and i thought renee zellweger who is a really good actor really killed it in this film actually i can understand why she was nominated however i think there is a film about a self-destructive drug addict singer with an amazing lead performance in it this year that really should have been nominated it's way better than this film way more interesting even though i did think judy was pretty good but elizabeth moss in her smell i think was one of the best performances of the year and yeah should i have subscribe been to that yeah. so fully man i would also say that i feel like the cinematography in that film which was I mean, we were talking last week about the Safdie filmography and um, Sean Price-Williams' contribution towards that. Such a well-made film. And, yeah, Elizabeth Moss is the sort of, you know, the real emotional centre, and it's a staggering performance. Mm -hmm. Just in terms of omissions, also, we've already said about Florence Pugh in Midsummer, which I feel like she really holds it down there. But also Lupita Nyong'o in Us. Absolutely. And I feel like it's 
really a shame that that's been overlooked because I mean there's two performances in one and both of them are really really good one is like a maternal like modern American or whatever and then the other one is like a subterranean like <laughs> you know croaky yeah if you're going to celebrate one thing about us and it is one of the major films of the year it was a huge success surely it's the acting it's yeah I'd about... also say you know the costume design I feel like it's like, iconic that's some real like cometh Halloween style shit yeah also, the soundtrack, like, come on, 1917. The soundtrack for that is shite. Just the most, by the fucking numbers, Sibelius crap. Yeah, sure. Whereas sure. Us has, like, a theme, you know? Dun, 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 dun. It's not original. Is it not? It's a, what is it? It's the bass line to I Got Five On It by Looney's, you know, the song they listen to in the car. No, I didn't know that. Okay. Best adapted score. Also, Heidecker. Yeah, and the Elizabeth best actor Moss, in yeah. the world, and Elizabeth yeah, yeah. Moss. Really, a solid film. Also, I think they came out on the same weekend, and Get Out got all the nominations like a year later. I don't yeah. know why us didn't. The BAFTA nominations are actually the exact same, apart from Jesse Buckley being substituted for Cynthia Everett. Right. Um, for Rose. Wild Rose. So what? Right. Best original song, deserved nomination. Really good song. Um, Wild Rose. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, sure. Jesse Buckley. Yeah, she's yeah. cool. Sure. I think Scarlett Johansson should win, honestly. For Marriage Story. That's crazy, bro. I thought she really portrayed a transformation in character. Mm. I thought the, the classic scene that you see in all the sort of screen caps when she's looking at the camera with the bedtime story, with the single tear, was really, really good on some garbo shit. And yeah, I just think, yeah, she can, there's a, a lot of range in that film. No And way, I don't I'm think sorry, she's a very man. good actress by and large. Like the things I've really liked her in, like Under the Skin and Lucy, it's not because of the acting, but this, both the films she was in, fuck it, I think I'm going to back her for it. both. Yeah. That's a bit mad, still. Fair enough, man. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like it's a pretty strange category. Like Charlie Theron, for example, like, she's not the lead performance in Bombshell. It's the performance they gave the most attention to in terms of, like, the production yeah, well, and, like, this the is, makeup or whatever. This but, is like, determined by the PR companies, though, isn't it? Yeah. It's for your consideration. They determine, yeah. or, like, the studios. I think they... this is just strange, though, like, compared to, you know, Florence Pugh or Lupita Nyong'o or there were just other standouts for me that, like, I mean, blow this and all of them out of the water. Mm -hmm. Should we move on? Yeah, let's do supporting actress. Get back to Margot and Scarlett. Okay, for this, we've got Kathy Bates and Richard Jewell. Can't wait to one? fucking see that yeah. shit. Looks good. Does, right? Everyone's saying Paul Waterhouser should be nominated for Best Actor because that's an amazing performance. Mm. Besides that, then, we've got Laura Dern in Marriage Story. Yeah. Scarlett Hansen in Jojo Rabbit. Florence Pugh in Little Women and Margot Robbie in Bombshell. For the BAFTAs, Kathy Bates is replaced by Margot Robbie in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, so she has two nominations. Left. I think that is mental, you know? Yeah. Maybe the facial acting is cool, yeah. but... Do you think that's just like a quirk of the ballot-style situation? Like, I just don't understand I think BAFTA that's... just like Margot Robbie or whatever, I don't know. It's not... Maybe it's a supporting form, it's because it contributes a lot to the meaning of the film. But if you're talking about a silent woman a silent actress, Anna Paquin and the Irishman did so much more with even less dialogue mm, good and, shout. and appearances. Yeah, I'd agree. And contributed to the meaning of the film in a supporting... Also, this award was invented for character actors, for people like Walter Brennan, Thelma Ritter, these kind of people who don't get to play lead. What we have here, apart from Kathy Bates, and I guess Laura Dern, is just a lot of like... Maybe just because she's older now, to be fair. You know, she's more likely to turn up as like the mother like in 
Little Women or as like an esteemed lawyer. You're right, like they're all like mainstream. They're all lead. They're yeah, yeah. Florence Pugh, Little Women, but again. Can I do the Amy Tarbin impression again? Yeah, go on. She's a fundamentally conservative actress. <laughs> I just... <laughs> yeah, again, I just think it's like quite an unimaginative category, really. So Scarlett Johansson was a really good supporting performance in Jojo Rabbit because without her, I probably wouldn't have actually liked the film. The middle third of Jojo Rabbit, which is pretty much either scenes between the kid and Thomas and McKenzie or scenes between the kid and Scarlett Johansson, is the best part of the film for me and she carried that it's yeah. good supporting performance yeah. should we uh supporting actor yeah so these are the exact same between the oscars and the baftas tom hanks in a beautiful day in the neighborhood dead ass looking film first acting nomination in 20 years wow since castaway i think fair enough anthony hopkins and two popes which is obviously a really good performance mm-hmm. brad pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I guess we've already discussed that. And then two supporting roles in The Irishman, Al Pacino and Joe Pesci. Between those, haven't seen A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood. I want to see it. I loved Can You Ever Forgive Me. I thought that was a brilliant film. The same director. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay, fair enough. Oh, I think it looks extremely benign. And it looks like, like a rip-off of the David Foster Wallace film, but instead of David Foster Wallace, they got what, Mr. What, the Roger, one with, um, Jason Segel. Jason, yeah. Again, I really don't know. These are, I think it's interesting that they're all like old, older actors. Old as men, well. yeah. Like, but Brad Pitt's going to win an Oscar cares. for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because of the vote splitting for The Irishman. Anthony Hopkins. Bit of a dark horse. I hate him, but yeah, I mean, it's a pretty classic, like, supporting actor performance. Like Judy Dench winning the Oscar for Elizabeth or whatever. Playing some, like, decrepit old lizard. Should we jump on to some. Let's go, let's go through the technicals. Okay. Got the Oscar fever in here. The BAFTAs, the Oscars don't do this, but the BAFTA have um, introduced a casting category. They've um, rewarded such films as Joker for the brave casting of Joaquin Phoenix as DC's The Joker. Marriage Story for um, Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver. Little known. Wallace Shawn was so good in that film as like, I'm glad they made a film about New York theatre and cast Wallace Shawn as a character. That's good casting. Yeah, I would say that all like the milieu stuff is like jokes. You know, Judy Haggerty from Airplane as the mum. Oh, I didn't. She was great. Fair enough. Two points got nominated for casting. Yeah, and I would say that that's really fair enough, actually. I don't think they played those roles on stage as well. I think they had different actors. The film with the best casting of 2019 was definitely Uncut Gems, like by a million miles, both for the professional and non-professionals. I mean, where do we even begin? Mike Francesa. I mean, Uncut Gems has just been like widely panned in terms of like. A lot of people didn't like it. Yeah, you wouldn't know it if you follow A24 on Twitter. <laughs> I just can't imagine not liking it. Like, it's such a successful film, like, in terms of where it took me or whatever. And should we talk about cinematography? Because, again, like, I guess a lot of these categories just reward the same films, like, the best picture candidate. For sure, for sure. Uh, like, there's a lot of correlation for, like, directing, editing, you know, like, score or whatever. Like This was the one category where I, approach. I jumped for joy on my way to the shop when they were uh, <laughs> announcing the nominees and I saw Jaron Blashy get nominated for The Lighthouse. Mm. Although I haven't seen it, I can appreciate that that obviously has like out there extremely wavy visuals. If you watch the trailer for that film, you know it's got better cinematography than fucking 1970. I mean, The Joker is a pastiche. Its achievement is making it look like the 70s Scorsese films. Yeah. And some other stuff. 1917's achievements are like gimmicky. 
I hated the cinematography. Imagine trying to tell that story with more straightforward cinematography and it would utterly crumble. Once upon a time in Hollywood, yeah, fine. Yeah, less stylized than like some of his earlier films, for sure. I do feel like there are some big omissions here, including Ad Astra, which we've already talked about. The Last Black Man in San Francisco has really beautiful cinematography, mm-hmm. like a lot of like tableau vivant and like sunsets and like, you know, like it's just really, really beautiful. Oh, perfect. You, you reminded me. The best cinematography of 2019. What, Sunset? Sunset, yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah, fair enough. That's the real marriage story. I'm going to keep making that joke on this podcast (laughs) until it ends. Um, I'd also say Atlantics as well, which has some really beautiful shots. And like a lot of the story is told through these like lingering moments on like landscapes or characters. If they had a best framing category or a best mise-en-scene category, Atlantics, you could watch that film on silent and feel it. Documentary, I don't give a fuck. I don't care. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care. International. International film. Or as the BAFTAs call it, Best film not in the English language. It's nice, isn't it? They nominated The Farewell, which didn't go past the Oscar shortlist. I swear it's in English. You're joking. Most of it's in Chinese. Is it? Yeah. They're, they only break from Chinese when, like, it's, like, privileged. Oh, yeah, privileged when she's talking in English so when... the grandma can't understand yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, you're right. And they also do it, like, at a dining table or whatever. Like, But mostly, yeah, I'd say, like, 90%. Of... Hidden life, then, if we're gonna if we're going to play that game. Yeah, okay, that was a really interesting one, actually. The use of language. Subtitles, yeah. Heteroglossia. Yeah, Yeah. and in terms of, like, the idea of, like, an intimate, like, language or, like, a public language and stuff like that. Making language a part of the film, yeah. Okay, let's look at the international features. Corpus Christi, Honeyland, Les Miserables, Pain and Glory and Parasite. Now, I've only seen two of these. Fucking hell. Honeyland looks interesting. It's a documentary, so it's kind of mad that that's nominated for Best Foreign. Yeah, Le Miserable looks interesting, and obviously I'm very much so looking forward to watching Parasite. I'd like Corpus Christi to win, but I think it's extremely unlikely, especially if Parasite doesn't win Best Picture overall. I can't see it winning both. I think it might win one or the other, so I think it might take this. I think if it wins one, it's going to win the other. You think? I think if it wins Best Picture, it's going to win Best International Feature. Hmm. But I think it does have a good chance to win Best Picture. It would be cool for posterity if it wins. Although, I guess the artist won. People are talking about it being like the first foreign winner, but that's actually not a thing. But I would be impressed. I mean, this film's like such a crowd pleaser. It's ticked all the boxes. Even the fucking billionaires like this film or whatever. Yeah, like, wow. That's how much it ticks all the boxes. I guess Snowpiercer has that sort of like accessible class analysis. So, and maybe, maybe that's what's. This doesn't make you. I'm not going to spoil it, but if you were a billionaire and you watched it, you wouldn't be like, oh, that was scandalous class war propaganda or whatever. Parasite is brilliant and it would be cool if it won. It's won everything else in the year and it's been a massive success. What else do we need to do? There are a few ones about like music. Uh, like costume, production design. I feel like we've like touched on these throughout the course of the episode and like made our feelings clear. So yeah, maybe we can end on director. Do you want to do that? We are an auteurist film and podcast. And it's the exact same across the BAFTA and Oscar. Maybe they didn't nominate the, the Safdies because of vote splitting. Like some people voted for Benny, some people voted for Josh. <laughs> Scorsese, man. Yeah, okay. So the nominations are Martin Scorsese for The Irishman, Todd Phillips for Joker, Sam Mendes for 1917, Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Bong Joon-ho, director Bong for Parasite. Okay, the way I understand the role of a director is a cumulative thing, right? Right. You can't really understand the role of a director through one film they make. Mm. 
but you can through a body of work. The Irishman is confirm. I mean, you don't need to confirm auteurism with Scorsese, but the role the Irishman plays within that director and that editor's filmography is the best direction. Mm. It's the most well thought out. It's the most textual direction. It's the most like. You, what do we have to say about Todd Phillips's direction of the jog? That's a pastiche of Martin Scorsese's work in the nineteen seventies. What do you have to say about Quentin Tarantino's work as a director for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I think it's like a chilling out of his general like approach, and I also think it's meant to be a crowd pleaser, <laughs> and maybe also a crystallization of his conservative perspective. Oh, wow, yeah. Little Women should definitely have been nominated. Jordan Peele should definitely have been nominated in this category. Mm. Fernando Morellas should have been nominated in this category. Bong is a great director. Yeah, no doubting that. And again, I'm looking forward to watching it. And, you know, yeah. you know, guys, when we do our Parasite episode, it will obviously imagine it's like my number one film of like the nascent decade or whatever. It's got to have to beat the two popes for that. <laughs> I prefer the two popes. Maybe that would be a good time to stop. Perhaps. Thanks for listening to Film Grace, listeners. Yeah, going to be back real soon. I think we're going to be talking about a bunch of stuff at the BFI. Yeah, so we're going to re-fulfill our status as a podcast about repertory cinema. <laughs> talk about some old films. Talk about all the films that have been reissued by the BFI. We're going to talk about Tommy. Mm, the Dolce Vita. Singing in the Rain. Uh, the Umbrellas of Sherbrooke. Yeah, and we're going to have a look at some future programming from the BFI. Yeah. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Yeah, looking forward to that. Thanks for listening, folks. Yeah, and you can book Phil Graves. But <laughs> Thank you for being the one to say it this time. I've been Emmett. I'm Sam. Lots of love. Lots.